Well, generally, I don't take earnest money deposits from repeat buyers. I just don't. And so, you know, so if it's a new buyer, I make them pony up five grand and make it non-refundable. It's deposited into my account, not the title company's account. Mm. So that if they walk away, it hurts. And then, of course, I can, we all have, because we're on the phone so much, you can smell somebody that's not very experienced, right? Mm. Or if they're bringing hard money to the table, who is that guy? Who is that lender that's going to do that deal? Are you just feeding me a free approval from a hard money guy? What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Ron Wallraven from Waymark Homes. And today, we're learning about how investors like you, like me, can work with wholesalers to do more off-market deals. Ron is a professional wholesaler. If you don't know what that means, don't worry, we're gonna dig into it. But the reality is wholesalers have access to off-market deals at a discount in single family and then small multifamily primarily. That's typically where they're doing deals. And today we're digging into Ron's experience working with investors and understanding how we as investors can get more access to those off-market deals. How can we get higher on a wholesaler's investor list? How can we keep wholesalers happy, especially productive wholesalers, so that we get access to more deals and ultimately lead to everybody doing more business? So we're digging into the investor slash wholesaler relations aspect of real estate investing today. And uh, Ron shares a lot of great information and tells us about his business and uh, how he works with investors, especially the best investors who do the most deals with him. And if you're out there, you wanna do off-market deals, you gotta learn from the experienced wholesalers how the experienced investors get it done. How does this business work? And that's what we're doing today. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to talking with you soon. If you're an Apple podcast user and you enjoy the show, please do take a moment and leave us a rating and review. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every time and I mean it every time. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Ron Wallraven. And today we're getting an insider's take on the wholesaling industry and feedback as to how we as real estate investors can better work with and better utilize wholesalers to get more access to off-market deals at a discount. That's what it's all about, right? Off-market deals at a discount. Doesn't that sound great? Well, that's what we're talking about today. So without any further ado, here we go with Ron. Ron, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for reaching out to me, Taylor. We're gonna have a great conversation. I'm, I'm really excited to dig into the wholesaling side of real estate, especially from our perspective as investors, what we can learn about 
wholesaling as a business and then how we can best work with wholesalers to you know get our off-market transactions going. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business and what you do, can you tell us about your background and, and what you're up to? Uh, yeah, I uh, started out an auto mechanic for a good 20 years, worked in car dealers, always hustled you know, to make a money. Nobody ever gave me a paycheck any day of my life. And uh, I was very good at it. And around about 98 or so, I hurt my back really bad, which forced me to change my career and never went to school or college in a sense of getting some formal education. So I was sitting around recouping and uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to do real estate. I always thought about the fact that it'd be kind of cool to do. So I kind of took the real estate class, got hooked up with a local real estate broker that did foreclosures for banks. So this would have been like early, but late 99-ish when I started doing that. And then the Midwest, that's about the time the Midwest imploded into, you know, into the REO world that we all know of. And so I gravitated to that. You know, I was, because I'm kind of a shop rat in a sense. I'm not a salesperson, like a retail agent or broker. So I fell into that, which had one client to two clients to a bunch of them. And then, of course, the, the market imploded again in 08 and 09. So REOs dried up. I took that database of buyers that I had sold 3,500 houses to, give or take a few in those 12 years. And about 2012, I just revamped into a wholesaler. And I've been been wholesaling ever since. So that's 10 years this year, which I thought about that the other day. It's like, wow, I've done this for 10 years. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and sometimes awesome. I wonder, I, I got the battle scars for it. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, yeah. hopefully we can uh, learn the stories from those battle scars, but, but not reopen any old wounds here right. today. So uh, just real quick, I want to just do a wholesaling 101 for the folks that that don't know and then we're going to move right on from that and get into the you know the grad level wholesaling uh courses but just walk us through real quick you know the, a day in a life how you get a deal under contract and then you know how you uh sell it off well it all starts off with marketing you know you can't what's the every salesperson needs leads right so and really that is my achilles heels heel in a lot of ways is the marketing side of drawing those leads in because I, I'm a deal maker. I tend to like to be face-to-face -face and do deals on both ends, meaning the acquisition and the disposition. So first you got to get the lead in, I mean, the phone rings, emails, text, you know, form fills from sellers, because we use a website to draw people into, which ultimately gets you to a, a qualification of them. You set the appointment, you go on the appointment, you walk through the house and then talk with them about their issue. You know, half the battle, and everybody, everybody in my world knows that half the battle is fixing their pain. It's not always about the price. So you kind of have to meld it together to make sense and have some empathy for people. I think when you're standing in front of them and are about to lose their house or they haven't paid their taxes or something, then, you know, you got to have some empathy for that. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I've gone through all of those situations through the years of, you know, tax taxes looming or a foreclosure looming on a, you know, on a primary. So it's allowed me to do that. And then once you get the property under contract and you have to have people to sell it to, I have a pretty extensive list of buyers that are bona fide players in town that bought a lot of houses from me through those REO days. And when I turned it into the wholesale business, I was able to leverage that, that relationship to close those deals. And I've got a reputation of just being honest and with some integrity. Those guys know when they call me that they're getting the truth. And if they ask me a question, I'm not going to skirt it. 
And then ultimately, all of those deals that I've closed through the years, you know, I have a, a knack for the closing side of it. And what I always used to tell my staff in my REO days is nobody, nobody makes any money till we close. So get to the closing <laughs> so that we can get paid because anything beyond anything before that is, is just noise. And then building those relationships with those buyers. Plenty of times I've gone on an appointment, brought my best buyer for that house with me to the appointment. He drives around the corner after he looks at it, texts me his number, and I negotiate backwards from that number standing there with the seller. So I can buy, sell a house all in the same half hour of standing in front of that seller. Some people would say that's leaving money on the table. I say that just gets me more deals quicker. That's all. Mm, That's absolutely. So this is a question that I think people, especially people who may, who may be newer to the space might ask. So you're going out there, you're finding these properties, getting them at a very high level, getting them under contract for a, a discount to market price for one reason or another. The seller's distressed in some way, maybe needs a lot of repairs, maybe they didn't pay their taxes, whatever, I don't care. You get it under contract for a discount and then you're selling that contract to an investor and you're making a margin there. If that off-market property, uh, under market is a good deal for an investor, why would you sell the contract rather than just do the deal yourself? Well, I think the easiest answer to that question is most rehabbers that do the you know the the fix and sell part, they don't have time to do what I do, which is to find those deals, know how to market to them, you know, spend time figuring out which list to send the marketing to, and conversely, I don't have time to fix them. So my job is to find them, put them under contract, call that rehabber and hand them the product, right? It's like the grocery store guy. When he buys a loaf of bread, he doesn't eat his own bread, right? <laughs> he, he sells it. That's the point. So mm -hmm. if I wouldn't work, if I wouldn't need to get as big a discount, if I was going to take it myself. Now, there are some wholesaler or rehabbers that have divisions of wholesaling so they can cherry pick those deals. But those guys don't do the volume that a true wholesaler does like we do, which you know our best year so far has been 150, 160 deals. Nice. It's very difficult for the rehabber to do 200 deals himself in a year and wholesale off 200 deals, right? And then of course, the biggest challenge I have is keeping them to rent them, not necessarily to fix them. Because my prowess is not the rehab process. I don't like the management of that high level management of those contractors. I'd rather deal with the pain of a 30 day window than a 120 day window, because now you got two problems, right? You have to convince the seller to sell it to you. And then you got to deal with the buyer on the back end who's going to nitpick everything because the house is supposed to be brand spanking <laughs> new, right? So it's like, I'll pick my poison. I'll, I'll pick the front end instead of the back end too. That's all. Yeah. So you've found the aspect of the business that best suits you that you most enjoy. And you've really specialized on that rather than maybe a full vertical integration, which would be much less fulfilling for one, but also a, a completely different business for two. Yeah. And of course, my expert, my experience before I became a wholesaler was very fast and furious with bank houses anyway. So my temperament is to do that. And, you know, every once in a while I get love, you know, if I fall in love with the house, which always gets me in trouble in <laughs> regards to getting attached to it emotionally, like, oh, I love this house. Let's fix it. 
Yeah, you know, and a lot of a lot of my background because I was an on mechanic for so many years is I buy cars from people all of the time. I just recently picked up a '71 Cutlass Supreme convertible out of a garage because the guy couldn't get it out, and he was like, he wanted to close to get his money. So he asked, he says, Ron, do you want this car? I said, yeah, I think I do. And <laughs> negotiated him just as hard on the car as I did on the house. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So, okay. So as we're, you know, we're, we're investors, we want off market deal flow and wholesalers have those off market deals, but wholesalers, experienced wholesalers like yourself also have a big list of relationships that you've built over time that, yep. The top guys on that list see those deals first and, and get they get picked over, right? So how can, say, I and let's just say me, if we just met and I want to get on your buyer's list, but I don't want to be the last guy you call, how can I move up that chain? Well, the, the biggest way, you know, the obvious is to close, right? Make it easy for me to get you to the other side and I get paid. I've got to probably, in most wholesalers, if, they're, if they tell you they got a thousand buyers, they're lying to you because they have a list with a thousand people on it, but there's really only 10 or 12 of those guys that actually buy a house from you. Mm -hmm. Consistently, that makes your life easy. The answer to your question is make it easy for me to sell to you. Don't beat me up. The best guys I have don't negotiate with me. In other words, we've learned each other is that I got the price. You know what you're going to pay. If you don't want to pay my price, I have a decision to make. It's either yes or no. So instead of trying to squeeze an extra thousand bucks out of you, because when I start doing that, you're going to keep driving me down every time. So let's just cut, let's just cut to the chase and be the guys that I sell and you buy. So then if I want to sell to you, because I because there's lots of background noise in the front end of those deals that they're not going to know, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I try to just make it clean and easy. Hey, John, the price is 50. Hey, Ron, I'll pay 45. Well, give me another week and I'll call you back. And if I can't get anybody else to pay the 50, then I call John back and say, hey, John, are you still in at 45? I don't go back to him and say, hey, John, I'm about 47 today. (laughs) I call him back and say, hey, John, you're still at 45? Yes, done. And then I get the paperwork over to him and we close. And those guys know that about me is that I'm not going to mess with them as long as they don't mess with me. Now, the first time we kind of learn each other, right? Like, what does that look like? So you know, me bringing buyers with me to a sales appointment is always a good way for me to make a bunch of money quick. You know, I can do more deals that way than maybe leaving, maybe I leave five grand on a table because I did it so fast. Personally, I like to do it fast. I, you know, I like that quick, you know, slow nickel as opposed to the quick or the quick nickel as opposed to the slow dime, right? That's just what I like. And if I can do a hundred thousand in a month and do 10 deals, I'd rather do that than do two rehabs and make 50 each. I'd rather just go through the process, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would wonder about you. So you're taking a buyer on an appointment with yourself at a property, especially if you're, you don't really know that buyer yet. You know, there was a lot of work to even get that appointment. You did a lot of marketing, you talk to the uh, prospective seller, and then you're bringing the, bringing the buyer along. What are your, you know, are, do you have concerns there? I would be worried about that buyer, you know, screwing up my appointment, you know, to be honest well, with you. Well, at the end of the day, if I just met you yesterday, I'm not bringing you with me because, of course, those concerns are, are are valid. The guys that come with me are guys that buy houses for me all the time. And there's three or four of those guys. And, of course, I've got, as a wholesaler, you kind of learn what the sweet spots are for those guys, right? So 
a lot of times I'll just look at my appointment schedule and say, huh, and I'll just text him. Hey, John, I'm going to be here at five, at five o'clock. Can you come? And generally he says yes, because he knows that if I got him in the door that he gets first dibs, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be negotiating against him until after he's out. In other words, once he's out, then I move it forward. That's the way. I, so if I'm taking that time, I'm giving them those deals. And uh, so there's a handful of those guys. And mo because I've been around a long time, the fact that I know a lot of people keeps the, the newbies from going around me because all <laughs> I got to do is say something to a few people and it's over. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not being prideful about that. I'm just saying, hey, the world is a dog eat world. And if you want to play with the big dogs, you need to you need to understand what's going to happen. Because you, you, if you're a one-off wonder, that's all you're going to be at that point. And I always tell lots of blind squirrels gets nuts, right? Mm -hmm. it, sometimes it just works out for them. And even they even go around me. And generally, if I smell that, I'll just lean up the property with the seller. I can do that within about 12 hours between getting the doc to the title company and getting it recorded. So the chances of somebody really, if I smell that, you know, they'll you know, they're in trouble at that point because they're coming to me anyway. So at some point, yeah. So your, your relationships and, and your reputation in real estate are, are really everything. And is it worth your reputation to, you know, save a thousand bucks or something when you could make, you know, a significantly more than that on a deal, you know, go, go for the big, the big thing, right? Your long-term reputation is, is way more uh, important. Because even back in the REO days, you know, it's a big technique is to, is to buddy up with the REO broker, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, you go straight to him instead of your buyer agent who found you the deal. They go straight to, to me, who is the broker. Because in those days, I'd had three, 400 listings a month. So my phone's just banging and snorting and people are just clamoring and they want the deal. And, and the old back in the mid 2000s, it was low hanging fruit in regards to REOs. And so those guys would get so mad at me because I wouldn't take their, I wouldn't double dip with them to make the deal go for them. That's not what I would do. Because I always tell them, I said, you want me to ruin a relationship with a seller who hands me 15 deals a month for one deal with you? <laughs> no, that ain't happening. <laughs> so then of course I carried that over. That's what allowed me to transition into the wholesale world is that integrity and that relationship at the beginning or that that's how I operated followed through. And those guys just know that Ron's not lying to them. And that's important to me at the end of the day. And it should be to everybody is your word should mean something. And many times I get, even now I get a deal where two guys got inside and then they call me and say, Hey, Ron, what's the deal? And then I tell them, and then I take their deal. And then the other guy calls me back 20 minutes later and says, Hey, Ron, you know, this is what I'll give you. So sorry, man, I just sold it. He said, what did you sell it for? And I'll tell them. Well, I'll give you five grand more. I said, no, I'm not doing that. He said, would you want me to do that to you? If the other, if it was flipped around? No, then of course I'm not going to, I'm not going to, do I like an extra five grand? Of course I do. But that's now, you know, that I'm not going to mess with you the next time that I give you the deal first. It's, it's a, my word matters. And that, that focus on reputation and, you know, Keeping the the long term in mind is is definitely very important in real estate. And you mentioned getting to the close, and you know you don't make any money until the property closes. And in that context, we talked about buyers, you know, over negotiating with you and trying to nickel and dime you rather than you know close a deal. And and the other part of the closing is is the money, right? They have to have the money somehow. And 
from your perspective, how do you like to see, say again, somebody that is new to you, how do you like to see that demonstrated that they have the capital to close? What makes you feel good about a new buyer? Well, generally, I don't take earnest money deposits from repeat buyers. I just don't. And so, you know, so if it's a new buyer, I make them pony up five grand and make it non-refundable. It gets deposited into my account, not the title company's account. Mm. So that if they walk away, it hurts. And then, of course, I can, we all have, because we're on the phone so much, you can smell somebody that's not very experienced, right? Mm. Or if they're bringing hard money to the table, who is that guy? Who is that lender that's going to do that deal? Are you just feeding me a pre-approval from a hard money guy? that you can type up on your computer like anybody else can. <laughs> uh, you know, so what's their worst nightmare is when I know that hard money guy, because I generally know who they are locally. And I call them up and say, hey, uh, how's this guy going? Well, he's brand new and blah, blah, blah. I said, does he have any money? Because obviously they generally want 10 or 20% down, you know, their skin in the game. And I said, does he have the cash? Yeah, he's good. And I said, okay. And we go ahead and do it. And of course, I, I try to mitigate that window of appraisal that they say they're not doing an appraisal, but they really are because the lender is not going to do the deal if it's not a deal. So mm -hmm. then what happens to the deal at that point when the lender says, oh, no, these numbers are bad? Because every lender on the planet that's a hard money guy is going to take every deal he can until he can't, right? He's not, he's not turning it down. So I'm very good at kind of weeding out those guys that way. And if they can't give me 5,000 bucks, how do they have 40,000 to buy a house, <laughs> right? Yeah. They yeah. need 20,000 bucks to close the deal on a $100,000 deal anyway, closing costs and down payment and all of that. And then, of course, they got to come up with the rehab cash. If you ain't got 5,000 bucks, you're not a buyer. It's really that simple. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I really want to dig into the state of the market. You know, you mentioned the REOs early on, and then we had the, the Great Recession, which obviously, you know, resulted in a lot of foreclosures. And then here we are today where home values are way up. So most people have a lot of equity in their properties and inventories are down in basically every market, at least in on the MLS. So how are you finding you know, distressed sellers that see value in, in selling their property through you these days? Like what's the, the angle that's working right now? Well, the best, the best, I'm not going to say pain point is, is probate, you know, mom and dad have finally passed and you got a house that the family's got to sell. You know, I live in Michigan where it's cold. People move to Florida, the Arizona to be warm. So mom and dad still live in Michigan because that's just where they lived. Well, they don't want to come back here to live and they don't need the house and they don't need any of the furniture. Right. So, and then it's just a, generally there's always been some sort of long term issue to their death in regards to their health. Right. Most people kind of linger for a while. They don't just die right away. So they have a lot of emotional tie and pain to the house and they just want to be done. Right. Not to mention, it seems like our best sellers in regards to that tend to be the family who hasn't been around for a while. And all of a sudden, the neighbors see the family show up because mom and dad passed and they don't want the embarrassment of all the neighbors knowing what's going on, right? Because the house is full of stuff and doing the estate sale, blah, blah, blah. We just come in there and relieve all that pressure. Get that relief of pressure allows the discount to be where we need it to be. And a lot of confidence in us as a company that can actually close is always a, is always kind of like over the top thing, meaning the rapport that we build gets deals all the time. 
over and above price because they look at me and they say, Ron, you got gray hair and you're almost 60 <laughs> and you didn't drive up in the Escalade. You drove up in the Suburban, right? Mm-hmm. So the biggest advice I could give to any new wholesaler is don't drive up in your brand new Camaro. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and look like you can pay cash because when you're looking them in the eye and say you can pay cash, you need to be able to do that. And if you're selling contracts, just tell them that. I sell contracts. Uh, for us, our shtick is always we clean it. We'll clean out the house for you so you can walk away. And number one, we will always close. In other words, once we get to a price, there is no question about what the price is going to be. Even if I can't find an end user, because I always tell them I'm going to, I'm my, my main exit is to wholesale this property to one of my friends. If I can't do that, I'm going to buy. Um, and one of the five or six people that generally go through a house is my private lender. He goes through it. He says, Ron, this is what I'll loan you. I got him in the background waiting. And if I don't get the deal on somebody else, then I call him up and we do the deal. It's simple. It's quick. It's fast. You know, subsequent to that, you've got taxes and mortgage foreclosures and, you know, grass violations or an empty house that they haven't seen in a while. There's all kinds of stressors that we can see internally online through list providers. We, I call, you know, they're aggregators of data. We get the most likelihood of, of a landlord. Tired landlords are always great. And they've got, they're 60 years, 70 years old. They've got 150 properties and they want to cash it out because they want to go to Florida. Those are the, <laughs> those are guys that those are even better because you can usually get them to do some sort of terms and financing because they don't want to convince them. They don't want to pay all those taxes because they have to pay taxes on the game plus the recoup of the, you know, of the depreciation they've been taking for years. That's used. Sometimes that's an easy sell to them to buy a million dollars worth of houses for 10% down and, you know, an X amount per month. Um, so, but I love the probates. Generally, most people don't, it's hard in Michigan. That's not a database that you can pull off online easy into a, into a, a spreadsheet. So it takes a little more work to do that, to get those names out of the, what we call the legal news, to get a hold of the rep. And then we actually wrote a book about five years ago called How to Sell Your House in the State in Michigan. So when we send out that empathetic letter, we got this little 30-page book that goes in there and they open that up and you know we're just a little different than most. Mm-hmm. Now, that book package doesn't cost 41 cents. It costs like $5. Whoa. So to send out 100 of those a month isn't cheap. And the percentage of those people calling you is very small. You know, we all know that one or two percent is a good return on any kind of direct mail. So you're taking a chance. And so make yourself stand out from that. And uh, and people, it's a pain, right? I mean, the answer to your question is it's always about their pain point. And can I solve their pain, whatever that looks like, in a way that makes sense to them? And we're not always the best fit. You know, the least ones that we buy are houses where they just put a kitchen in it. Like last year, mm-hmm. you know, grandma put a kitchen in the in that house and now they want their $20,000 back. Well, sorry, the rest of the house is old, you know, so I, we have to drive it down. And here's why, because they want retail prices at that point. Now, mm-hmm. we as a company are brokers in Michigan. So my guy, my guy is trained to, to transition that quickly from the pain point of cash to, you know, to a, to a listing. He's very good at that. And I have a full-time retail agent that works on my team that we send all those leads to. I don't do that. I'm affectionately the cash hammer. 
in a sense, right? I'm, I'm the guy that's looking you in the eye and making you feel good about the fact you're giving me a 45% discount on your house, right? That's me. I love doing that, actually. I like to make people feel good about what they're doing with rapport and also confidence that we'll, that we'll get the deal done for them. But it sounds like, a, if I'm hearing right, especially with probate, one of the big pain points has to be kind of the amount of work that the property needs, especially mm-hmm. if the people yeah. are there and these are a lot of properties, a lot of needs, a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff in the house. We don't want to bother clearing out. This guy is saying he can give us cash. It's probably not as much as maybe we want, but it's a headache that we don't have to do ask, forget it. We'll just sell it to this yeah. guy. And one of the, my best questions is, do you have any cars for sale? <laughs> right. Because an elderly person has an old car with no miles or mm-hmm. a new car with no miles. And I'm an old car guy. I love buying old cars, and especially I live in Detroit, right? So it's it's where you live in an area where cars are cars. Not We have garages and yards as opposed to some East Coast, West Coast where they don't have garages and you all park in the street and you have snow, right? Or no snow. So I, I love one of my best deals ever was two cars in a garage at the end of the day. So nice. Nice. Well, I appreciate you giving us a window into the wholesaling side of real estate and teaching us how we as investors can better prepare ourselves to work with wholesalers and do off-market deals. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Ron, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, just like I indicated a minute ago, one of the best deals I've done was a house, a brick house that was totally tired, had three brothers living in a house for 50 years, 60 years, something like that. One of them, none of them were ever married. One of them passed the family of that past brother got involved and decided to sell the house. And this house was had, they had a couple of cats and there was cat hair everywhere. The carpet was original, like, like from the 1930s when this Whoa. house was built and just worn out to the wood and just all of the normal, just the perfect house. Like always, you can smell the money when you walk in. 
It's like, yes, this is the one. <laughs> so then they take me out to the to the garage in this heated garage underneath this cover. There's a 1978 Firebird Formula. Whoa. Had 5,000 miles on it. Whoa. Underneath the cover in a heated garage, the guy had the original title. He bought it <sighs> brand new and he kept it up. You know, most times those cars sit in garages and they kind of deteriorate. But this car was pristine. The paint was glass. You know, the inside smelled brand new. The trunk and everything was not rusted because it was inside the garage. Anyway, so I, I, he, he told me what he wanted and he didn't want to worry about the cars. So I said, okay, I'll take the cars. And I told him, you know, hey, I'll give you, it was 108,000, I think is what I gave him for everything. Right. So I took and wholesaled the house for 45,000 extra. And then I took the two cars. I didn't sell the cars to the, to the buyer. I, you know, snatched the two cars out and sold that Firebird for fifteen thousand bucks, <laughs> and then there was another like two thousand. There was a, there was a, a Mitsubishi Turismo that was just a general car, right? It was a turbo, and I sold that car for four thousand bucks. So I made forty five on the house, and then another thirty five or so, or fifteen and you know for nineteen, another twenty on those two cars. And uh, just moved on down the road, you know. So those are the those are the things I love when I look at deals. I look at how can I how can I flip that right? And there's lots of furniture sometimes that are antiques that they don't want to deal with. I find that for my my prowess on furniture is not so good. Generally, I just end up like giving it away just to get rid of it. But uh, that would be at the end of the day, you know, the total amount of cash given for a house for something to discount off. That would that would that's the best deal I've done. Nice. And you know that I think that let's take that as a lesson. If you ever buy yourself a sports car and keep it for 40 years, go drive the thing, put more than 5,000 miles. Right. On it. You're going to die someday. Use that right. car. For sure. For but sure. we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I had a house in Bloomfield Hills that I bought subject to, which means I bought it from the seller leaving their mortgage in place. And, and of course, this, we had talked about this before, why wholesalers don't rehab. Well, I decided to rehab this house because I was in for hardly anything. And of course, I didn't, I couldn't wholesale it very well, meaning the buyers in town weren't looking to, to buy it from me from what I was looking for. So I just decided to wholesale it myself. And so we decided it was a, it was a quad. It was tired from beginning to end. It was 3,000 square feet. It, it only had two baths. It really needed three. It didn't have a master suite. So we pulled down a wall and then we pulled up all the hardwood and putting on new wood and blah, blah, blah. Right. Wow. So a, a rehab that we thought was going to be a hundred grand turns into two and a quarter. Whoa. And, and what I do remember, I ended up losing roughly about a hundred K off that deal. Wow. But what I remembered the most was, was that was, I had bought that house in like early 15 and kind of go down the political side of things by the time it was ready to sell was when the election came and there was clinton and uh trump right and i remember i remember distinctly thinking to myself i hope clinton doesn't get elected because i'm gonna lose my shirt right well i lost my shirt anyway it just would have been more right so trump getting elected helped help that that money that money the money that was still around kind of put itself into the real estate market because we know real estate really did kind of take off in itself between those times. And like I said, I lost a hundred grand on just on that one deal. Now the upside to it is I've got friends and resources to pull that through, you know, just to keep, and I had a 
I had two hard money guys on that deal. They all got paid and I sucked up. Actually, I'm still paying off about 50,000 of that to this day, you know, just chunking away at it because we're just kind of moving along. Um, so that would, that would definitely, when I thought about that question, I thought, Ooh, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> that definitely, uh, definitely sounds painful. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I've been wholesaling for 10 years, which is a different animal than listing properties for banks. What I've learned is that you're never as good as your best deal and you're never as bad as your worst deal, which is what we just talked about, right? I wasn't that smart when I made that 85,000 bucks and I wasn't that stupid when I lost a hundred. So at the end of the day, you look at things as a whole. And if I make $500,000 in gross fees in a year and I've lost lost, you know, 50,000 off of multiples of deals, I still made 450 grand. I didn't lose 50. Right. So I think having that mentality will help you like, you know, take the ups and the downs properly. And, you know, and, and also just be humble. Uh, it's very disconcerting to me. And I think it's happening right now that the market, I call them market made millionaires. Like mm-hmm. these guys think they're the smartest guys on the planet. And, they, and there's no way that anybody that was investing prior to COVID could have ex, could have predicted what happened. Meaning like, you know, the guy, the guy because I belong to a, a high-level mastermind and they had an economist that come in there and he called it, the, he, he was going to call it the, the dead cat bounce, mm-hmm. right? Because it's free falling through COVID and then it all kind of comes out and then about mid-June that cat hits. And I said that cat was half alive because he must have pushed off and the market in our area, the market is exactly where it was at the peak right now. And it took longer, it took shorter time to get back to that peak than it did the original peak. So, and of course, you know, I've, you know, I've got some more, uh, you know, carnage stories to go with that. I went into COVID owning about 12 houses because our MO was always to buy everything and resell it. And those 12 houses, my hard money guy just went, you know, he just said, Hey, Ron, I want my money back. And so I unloaded those houses and lost, you know, at a total of about a quarter million dollars Whoa. on those 12 houses. So I've got a very gracious, hard money guy at the end of the day. I'm thankful for him. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm, and I'm still, you know, kind of recouping from all of that at this point. And I thank the Lord. I'm a very religious kind of guy. I thank the Lord for what he's given me and abilities to get through that. And my advice is just learn from your lessons. Be humble. Don't brag about what you did. Just move along, you know, take the accolades when you, you know, be, uh, you know, take the compliments when they're given and don't hand, don't hand out the criticism when you, when you think you can at the end of the day. Nice. Well, Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, if they want to hear about deals you're doing or anything like that, where can they track you down? Well, I'll get, most guys don't give out their cell phones, but I will. Uh, I like the text. Don't call me because if you call me and leave me a voicemail, I'm never going to call you back. But if you text me 586-413-6190, you can text me and say, Hey, Ron, got a minute. And, uh, I'll just, I'll give you a time. I'll either call you right back or, or that, or you can email me at Ron, R-O-N at waymarkhomes.com. And, uh, I have an assistant that sometimes monitors my email. Um, but emailing and texting is how I communicate. That's just how I do it. So. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, 
Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day today, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.